Hello, and welcome to And Breathe, the podcast to help you understand more about the power of your breath. Each week, you'll hear experts and inspirational people from all walks of life share the stories and experiences that have changed their lives for the better. Throughout the podcast, we will be sharing tips on how our breath can help us through challenging times and how it's more than just an inhale and an exhale. Before we go any further, let's check in with our breath. Instead of worrying what has been, what is yet to come, ground yourself in the present moment and appreciate what is right here, right now. Take three deep breaths and notice how you feel in your body and your mind. If you're not feeling okay today, please give yourself a break. Sometimes it's okay to not be okay. Sometimes if all we do is to connect to our breath, that is enough. Now notice your thoughts and rather than judge them, just be. Try not to entertain them and let them float by and stay focused on your breath. The inhale and the exhale and just being rather than doing. Breathe in and breathe out. Breathe in and expand your belly as you inhale. Contract as you exhale. Using gentle, rhythmic, diaphragmatic breaths, slowing everything down. As you breathe in and out, you're coming more into your body and sending messages via the nervous system to come into a calm, relaxed state. So now we're fully present, let's begin. Before we meet our next guest, I would like to thank the sponsors of this podcast episode, Cloris. Cloris is a multi-award-winning premium CBD and natural wellness brand with a deep interest in nature and holistic well-being. Founded by three friends, it has risen the ranks to be considered one of the most loved and respected names in the UK, offering truly intelligent and CBD beauty and wellness products. Cloris is my go-to CBD oil because I find it really helps support the breath and the body system when I need to find that space of inner calm. My wonderful friends at Cloris have kindly offered 20% off the full range of their products to all and breathe listeners. Just go to cloris.co and use the code breathe. Now let's move on to the podcast. I'm really excited to be sharing this podcast with you all today. My guest this week is the wonderful Dan Brillet, a continuing inspiration of mine on my own breath journey. Dan is a world-renowned pioneer in the field of breathwork for over 40 years and trained with many masters and gurus, which we discuss in this episode. Dan was among the first group of internationally certified rebirthers in bringing the knowledge and power of conscious connected breath to the world. He originally trained as an x-ray technologist at New England Medical Center University Hospital in the 70s. He served in the US Navy during the Vietnam era as an independent duty hospital corpsman, deep sea diver and emergency medical rescue specialist until 1976. 
He then worked as a CPR and emergency medical technician trainer. He majored in human development and learning and graduated in 1984 with a Bachelor of Science degree in business and education. In 1985, he designed and completed a master's program in the healing arts called The Breath as a Tool for Health, Growth and Change. Dan is a modern day teacher and healer and he also has a beautiful singing voice. I could chat to Dan forever as breath is my passion and he is an oracle on this subject. Initiated by Babaji in India, he is a master of prana yoga, the Hindu science of breath, and of Qigong, Chinese medical breath and movement exercises. Dan has worked and learnt with thousands of people over the years, and many share his breathing exercises and techniques in their work and lives. Among them are Olympic champions, elite martial artists, leading psychotherapists, and medical experts. So without further ado, I would love to welcome my wonderful guest, Dan Brule. I've been wanting to interview Dan for a very, very long time. And we've had um, a couple, it's been very hard for us to sync our diaries, but we're now there. And um, yeah, welcome, Dan. It's so lovely to see you today. Yes. Wonderful. Thank you. And where are you? What part of the world are you in today? I know that you you have a very busy schedule. Yeah, I am. Uh, I'm in Mexico, in Los Cabos. It's where our retreat center is, our teaching and learning center, and it's where we're having our breathing festival uh, this year, and it's where I have my uh, annual retreat. We're doing actually a big annual retreat in February and then another one in March. So Los Cabos is uh, is where most of what uh, I've been doing has been happening, especially since the lockdown. I've been spending a lot more time here at our center in Mexico. I, I would usually do more traveling. Things being as they are, we're doing more stuff at home. That's amazing. I have to come and visit your retreat space one day. I would really love to come and back to Los Cabos. I think the last time, well, I know the last time and the only time I was there when I was pregnant with my my little one, which was 11 years ago and um, where I was finishing my training for breathwork. It's a, it's a place that was just so beautiful, and where we when we were there, the um, it was well the well birthing season as well. So, had some magical magical moments with my son in my belly, uh, connecting with the with the whales as well. So, yeah, uh, you'll have to. I'll just uh, I'm just going to plant that little seed that I'm going to have to come back and maybe bring him as well, um, but by my side this time. I, I loved your training, by the way. You and I met uh, properly. I mean, I've been a real fan of your work for many, many years, and I found it really, really helpful. I've done training with many different uh, breath workers, and uh, you and I met in person at the breath festival, I think it was four or five years ago, the first one when we were both sharing sessions there. And um, so I got to experience you firsthand. And uh, you actually have a beautiful singing voice as well, I seem to remember as well. So there was some singing that was going on during that session. Um, and also I've, I've experienced your, I, I've uh, taken part even in your online training, which I highly recommend to many people. And, uh, just what I love about your training, Dan, is how generous you are with your information. It's very, very informative. And clearly you've over the, it's been a lifetime's work of all of this knowledge that you, that you share. 
but also just keeping it really simple and um, and bringing the fun and the joy into it, which uh, which I think is really really important. And I guess that that back in the day, I mean, obviously you're one of the pioneers of of breathwork, and you uh, were really there not kind of trying to make you feel too ancient, but you were there with Leonard Orr and, and Stan Groff. Um, mm. And uh, can you just, I mean, I just, where do we begin? I mean, I, 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 I know quite a lot about your background, but maybe if we just begin with how you came across breathwork. Yeah, well, I was turned on to the breath kind of magically, mystically as a, as a small child in Catholic school. I can remember the pastor of our church coming to our kindergarten class and talking about Genesis and how God took the dust of the earth and formed the body of man and breathed into the nostrils of man the breath of life. That was so exciting to me. I couldn't understand why everybody wasn't excited. It was like, what? what? God is breathing into us? Like, what? What? why isn't everybody? <laughs> and I guess I got a little too animated. I still have memories of somebody tapping me in my head and pushing my shoulders down and I guess trying to get me back into my seat. <laughs> and um, so I don't know, it was like a little spark that was lit very early and and I was the kid holding the uh, breath holding competitions in the schoolyard. You know, I was <laughs> organizing those things. I got the wind knocked out of me so many times as a kid. I had a couple of near drowning experiences. It just seemed like, you know, life just kept sticking my nose back in the breath. I just couldn't escape it or avoid it. And uh, my first job as an x-ray technician, I was taking a lot of chest x-rays. It's one of the easiest x-rays to take. And so as a student... I was getting all the chest x-rays. And when you take a chest x-ray, you tell the person, taking a deep breath, hold it, and then click, you take your picture. And I gave those simple instructions to a couple of thousand people over a year or so, and everybody did something different. I started watching and observing the muscles they use, the expression on their face, what they thought was a full breath, what they went through to get the full breath. And... Um, and it was as if the breath just started speaking to me. I could see how a person's relationship to their breath was an expression and a reflection of their relationship to their body, to life, to the world, to everything. And so I just kept getting pulled deeper and deeper into the breath. I learned CPR when I was an x-ray technician, cardiopulmonary resuscitation. And within a week, 10 days Less than two weeks of when I took that course, I was I was in the uh, intensive care unit with my portable x-ray machine and the patient I was there to x-ray basically flatlined, you know? Wow. Um, and so my training kicked in, I pumped them, I blew into them and he woke up. And what a miracle, you know, to be able to give somebody breath and they go from being dead to being alive. It's like, whoa, who's next? I want to do this every day, all day. You know, just what a miracle. And it happens that way, too, because if you love what you do, the universe keeps giving you opportunities to do it. Yeah. And so I'd be on a plane and someone would have a heart attack. I'm at the beach and someone drowns. I'm in a restaurant. Someone chokes on food. It was kind of like, maybe I'm bad luck. Stay away from me because I love re recuperating people. And, uh, and then when I got out of the military, I had uh, 10 years of uh, educational benefits as uh, the pound of flesh and in exchange for, it was during the Vietnam era. 
So I lived in the campus of the University of Massachusetts, and um, my mentor there, Milton Young, introduced me to rebirthing. I found him in the parking lot one day, and uh, he was floating, and he was kind of giddy. And I said, wow, you look a little weird this morning, Milt, on our way to class. And he goes, yeah, I was just rebirthed, he says. It's about breathing. You're sure to like it. I went, whoa, breathing, send it in. And that was uh, 1976. He said, hey, I'll tell you what, if you take this, you know, learn this little technique, write me a paper on it, and I'll give you six credits. So uh, that's half of a semester in a university <laughs> semester. So uh, I was all in. And uh, I had my first rebirthing session. And within, I don't know, 15 minutes, all of the stress, all of the tension that I had accumulated in five years in the military just melted off of me. Mm. And uh, my heart opened and the sky was so blue and I was in love with existence and Oh, my God, what happened to me? I want everybody to feel this. And uh, so I've been a missionary for the kids. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you never forget. You never forget your, your first breathing session, do you? Or your first yeah. conscious connected breathing session. It's just I, I remember that when I had my first breathing session and that experience of just that whole maelstrom of emotions and physical and there's feeling of connection and just knowing that you've found something incredibly powerful. But for you, I mean, that was um, when rebirthing was. So at the, so you were at the time you had just left the military, you were working, it was, was it um, as a Navy SEAL? Was that right? Were you? Yeah. And um, were you a free, a free diver as well? Was that, was that after or before that? Yeah, I was a, I was a deep sea diver. Hmm. And actually, for the time that I was in the Navy, I held a record for uh, breath holding. It was only six minutes at the time. I mean, now the record is 22 minutes, over 22 minutes. <laughs> I felt like a god at six minutes. Um, and, and yeah, and during the military, I had kind of, I had learned to use my breath to manage my emotions, to manage my arousal, uh, to get my heart rate under control when when things really went uh, crazy and underwater and deep pressure and so on. And um, when I came out, you know, I already had this kind of hard, real approach to breathing. It saved my life. And then when I discovered rebirthing, it just opened up just a whole new dimension. And, uh, and so, you know, it became my spiritual path. It was just, uh, just landed on me as a, as a way through life, as a purpose, as a mission, to be a missionary for the breath. I mean, that's quite an incredible story. Like you say, it's almost like the breath chose you <laughs> each from the age of, of four and then just throughout life, just all of these little signs and messages. It was just like there was no escaping, even though you've had all of these really varied careers. And but but already you were training your breath from a very, very young age. And uh, I imagine that maybe back in the day we're working for um, the Navy SEALs, it wasn't really something that was part of the training breath work. So that's something, again, that you kind of created yourself. And is that something now that you um, that you have taken back and do you and and done that training yourself with Navy, Navy SEALs? Yeah, because I I I got laughed out of the room several times. They mm -hmm. called me, you know, Dan the pacifist. And uh 
<laughs> you know, yoga, shmoga, meditation, sh meditation. Nobody was ready for it. Nobody could hear it. Everybody was just left to their own devices to try to intuitively or accidentally stumble over things that worked. It's a lot more organized now these days. And um, yeah. and yeah, one of my good friends, Mark Devine, who's a Navy SEAL commander, he uh, they finally got it. Uh, they he, he was able to. Uh, convince them that this is something that people ought to be, be doing. Uh, and he was more clever than me. Instead of calling it meditation, he called it concentration training. Oh, yeah, that sounds more serious. And instead of calling it yoga, he called it somatic movement. I don't know. It just So by just changing his vocabulary, he was able to get it into the system. So it was a great lesson for me. Uh, and, and I didn't learn that lesson until I got out of the military. And my mentor, Milton Young, you know, said, look, Dan, just tell people whatever you need to tell them to get them in the room. And once they're in the room, just do what you do. <laughs> don't don't. And uh, it was kind of the Trojan horse permission. <laughs> that, uh, and so since then, hey, if you're a Buddhist, I talk about things in Buddhist terms. If you're a scientist, I try to bring up as much uh, scientific uh, stuff as possible. And if you're a Christian, we use Christian language and uh, and so it's just, you know, getting people to actually do it. So convincing, cajoling, seducing, shaking, slapping, whatever it takes to get somebody to breathe. Once that happens, it's like our work is done. You know, we connect people to their spirit and then we just sit by like a midwife and celebrate. <laughs> so, um, yeah, things have changed. You know, we have these wearable technologies and there are so many unarguable scientific and medical studies about conscious breathing now. It's, you know, it's become unarguable. Mm. So thank God the world is waking up. Absolutely. And it's so important, isn't it, that we are raising um, consciousness right now. And, and I'd love to talk to you about that in a bit and also around the science too, because obviously when you were sharing and studying breathwork and um, doing all of this research yourself, I mean, I remember even myself from 12 years ago from training that when I'd ask the wise about the science, it would always be a little bit of a gray answer. It was almost, it was always like kind of just is, or just because it's just release. And I, but I really love to have an understanding around the science. And I think that that really helps people too as well. And in that way, like you say, how you can change the language, it's still, the breath is always the same, but the use of language can really hit people's nervous systems, can't it? And it can be a real trigger, can't it? So like you say, if you're taking back in the day, maybe yoga, calling yoga, but naming it something else, then then that's how you can share that work. And the same with breath work too. I know that you have been quite a big part of the, the science of breath and you've been to Russia and you've uh, been part of the programs um, over there as well. And um uh, but just going back to free diving and, and when you were diving for the Navy SEAL, it's like, do you have any tips for people, how they can improve their lung capacity and how they can hold their breath for longer? Yeah, well, it's not something probably that everybody would train for. Not everybody is a free diver and so on. Uh, but in order to increase respiratory capacity and maintain respiratory capacity, that's a really important thing because all of the medical studies show that 
a person reaches their peak respiratory capacity around the age of 27 years old, give or take, and then they lose about 10 to 15% of their respiratory capacity for every decade of life. Mm -hmm. So if we can maintain our respiratory capacity through life, I mean, the result is longevity, the result is, uh, you know, better health and so on. So yeah, increasing respiratory capacity is really important. And there are some very cool exercises to do that. And they're simple. You know, you're taking a deep breath, try to take in a little bit more, take in as much as you can, and then hold your breath and stretch and arch and twist and turn, and then try to pull in a little more, and then stretch and arch and twist and turn and try to pull in a little more and curl and arch, and then let it all out. And then go empty, 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 squeeze everything out, squeeze everything out, and then stretch and move and curl and twist, try to squeeze out a little more and then twist and curl and stretch and then pull it in again. So, you know, you're just kind of literally creating space more and more full, more and more empty, you know, and combine movement and breath holding and be quite surprised that uh, you can increase respiratory capacity and and if, and if you're not doing breathing exercises, you're going to lose your respiratory capacity. It's pretty much guaranteed. Mm. So breathing needs to be just as important as eating and sleeping and going to the toilet and taking showers. We, we got to raise the awareness of breath work so that people really learn and recognize that it's more important even, not, not just equally important as food and sleep but more important. Yeah. And so uh, that's our job. And, um, uh, and now with the, you know, with wearable technologies, you can monitor your physiological parameters and so on in real time. And you can, you get direct feedback, moment to moment feedback on what's happening in your chemistry and your physiology as you practice certain breathing. So that's, that speeds things up because the old yogis used to use trial and error, you know, 20 years meditating and practicing. Mm-hmm. Now, in a couple of weeks, with wearable technologies, you can you can come up to speed uh, really quickly. So for us ancient yogis, the technology is a nice plus, <laughs> but we don't want to be waiting around for science to prove stuff, you know? Yeah, I mean the respiratory itself, our system itself, and the breath is and is and the whole systems in our body is an amazing technology, as it is, yeah. and um, and really it's like a little ecosystem that we have. And if we, like you just said, if we can maintain our breath and we look after our breath and we exercise our breath in the way that we take it to the gym, and uh, and it's so interesting that how you said like at the ages of twenty seven was it that we're yeah. at our um, that's when we're, when we're, we're our fullest respiratory capacity. What was that that you just said then? Yeah, twenty uh, between 25 and 30 years old, so the average is 27. Mm. Until then, a person's respiratory capacity is still building, and so it reaches its peak right around that age. And then, of course, in that way that when we when we come into this world, our, our, the, the rates of our breathing is faster, isn't it? And yeah. then as we grow older, it slows down too. When when we're small, we have little tiny lungs. And yeah. so you got to take little baby breaths. And as you <laughs> grow, hopefully your breath gets deeper, breaths get bigger, it gets more efficient. And uh, yeah, it's beautiful to track the breath through life uh, because the breath is alive. And once we connect to that aliveness in the breath, it's like our best friend. <laughs> it's our guide. It's our teacher. It's our source of energy and strength and comfort and peace and uh 
<sighs> what a miracle. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I know that you've, um, you know, in the way that you've worked with uh, Stig Stefferson, he's a good friend of yours, isn't he? And he can hold his breath for 22 minutes, which kind of defies <laughs> biology and science. And then <laughs> you've also spent uh, time with Babaji and Swami Rama as well. And I believe that he could hold his breath for 17 minutes, but also there's some amazing things that that you can do with breath control, uh, with heart rate variability and so on, and helping to boost the immune system. But just it's so, um, and, and with PTSD and, and so on and trauma and, but it's, it's, it's free, right? And it's there and it's right under our noses. And, and it's, do you find it frustrating sometimes when, we know that how the power of the breath and what it can do that, that like you say, it's like we're taught how to, to walk and how to read and how to feed ourselves and so on. But it's not, uh, still not a priority in education and governments and health and, and in healthcare as well. And, um, I mean, what's, what, what's your take on that? Yeah, well, now it's coming. Like, uh, you know, we have the, the, the International Breathwork Foundation has the uh, Breathing Classroom Project. Been working on it for six or seven years. So breathing exercises have been introduced to at the UN at one of their development conferences. So I think uh, people from like 150 countries took the information uh, back about training teachers to introduce breathing techniques to kids in school which, you know, wow, if that can become more mainstream, it's mm -hmm. happening more and more, you know, giving kids while they're young tools to manage their emotions and to upregulate or downregulate or, you know, respond to anxiety and uh, prepare for tests and so on. And so it's it's creeping in. It's making its way into uh, the system more and more. And maybe it's because of just, you know, uh, the bottom line, you know, I mean, uh, it costs money <laughs> to treat people for diseases and issues. And if you can give them skills early in life and prevent all that stuff, uh, wow, life is just so much better, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, you're so right. And, and and you're right. It's it's just even like 12 years ago, and I just keep going back to there. And when I was first teaching breathwork and people would kind of laugh a bit. And when I told them, well, that was my new job. And what do you mean you're teaching people to breathe? But people do definitely get it now. And, and so many people from different, you know, walks of life. And it's, it's something that people understand so much more that, you know, how we can change our states by just changing the rhythms and the depths of our, our breathing. But when you first came across connected breathing and when you came across rebirthing. So that was back in the day where maybe it was seen as what slightly more new agey, would you say? Um, and what, what was your first experience? Can you tell me? Yeah, it was a little too uh, woo woo for the uh, mainstream <laughs> medical world at the time. They called us pop psychologists. You know, we didn't have any credentials but we were unlocking uh, the solution to a lot of psychotherapeutic issues, let's say, and, uh, and overcoming uh, physical conditions and so on. And, um, uh, you know, that, that ability to, to get a handle on our chemistry, a handle on our physiology, a handle on a mind that could drive us crazy, 
uh, I guess just the time, our times are just calling for people to learn these skills. It's, it's just time. Uh, breathwork is the tool of our day. It's the, it's the leading trend in global wellness. Like three years in a row, it's been cited as the leading trend in wellness globally. So mm-hmm. it's, it's come of age. Finally, breathwork has come of age. And a lot of it is really a rediscovery of ancient techniques. Yeah. And, um, and so they're not really new, you know. But that you can put a new spin on them. You can put a new little tweak on them. You can. So a big part of what I'm doing is trying to westernize a lot of the Eastern techniques because the Western mind, it can't always wrap itself around some of these holistic, spiritual, mystical kind of traditions where the breath is always front and center. And so if we can peel away all the dogma and the the rituals and religious stuff and just hone down on what are the actual breathing practices. And so they're eclectic. They're non-religious. You know, it's therapeutic, but it's not therapy. It's spiritual, but it's not religious. And by turning people on to the breath, they cut their own path along that spiritual trail and, and their own personal healing. I mean, something might work for me. I just stumble over it. I intuitively figure it out. I make it work. And maybe somebody else has to figure out something else. We each have our own personal relationship to the breath. And maybe that's what makes it seemingly mystical because the consciousness factor can trump particular breathing rates and breathing volumes and all the things you can measure and the gases and so on. Consciousness, we seem to be able to go places where science can't quite keep up fast enough. <laughs> and uh, and now, you know, people are teaching stuff that we were teaching 40 years ago and and we're on to other stuff. And we, and we don't want to wait for science to have to give people permission to be their own damn scientist, you know? <laughs> and uh, there's always somebody ahead of us on the ladder and somebody below us. And so the further we climb by ourselves, we can pull more people up. And the more people that are waking up to breath work, the more we're lifted up. And I think it now has become this grand divine conspiracy as things on the planet accelerate and intensify. The breath is what allows people to hold their center when everybody around them is going crazy. It gives them energy they need when they think they can't take another step. You know, it gives them the ability to kind of calm down and 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 center when uh, when our system gets hijacked, you know, by hormones or emotions or whatever. And it's beautiful now that medical people have come on board in a big way, and that gives people a certain permission to go ahead and do stuff. And so, hey, whatever excuse people need, just get in the practice and find out for yourself, you know, where you can go. What's the limit? Maybe there are no limits. Exactly. It feels like it's infinite, doesn't it? It feels like it's just ever expansive. And no matter how much you've learned with the breath, from the breath, you're always a student and there's always so much more to learn and to discover. And in the way that how you can access different parts of the the brain and how you can access on the spirit connect on, you know, this, this basic kind of human connection, but also mm. spiritual connection and how you can heal emotions and how you can heal trauma and so on. And 
Just coming to that, because you and Leonard Orr, who was one of the pioneers of breathwork, so you, with your with your voyage, I would think I would call it a voyage, your whole life with breath. And when you came across Leonard Orr and um, Stanislav Grof as well, and he was um, studying LSD it was at the, in the 70s at the time in the US, and that was all around trauma. And can you just... You can you explain kind of how he then brought that connection to how you can actually reach um, successful kind of um, states with um, helping trauma? You know, well, that was Stan Groff discovered that hey, some breathing is able to produce these non ordinary states mm -hmm. that most people were relying on chemicals, mushrooms, LSD, or you know whatever, and and it and he discovered that wow. We can hack into these non-ordinary states through the power of the breath. And, um, and, and you mentioned that in the world of trauma and in the world of addiction, how the breath kind of moved in and is making such a huge impact in those populations. Because you can get really high with your breath and it can take the place of drugs. And, you know, and you can use the breath to hack into your nervous system and to unlock, you know, some potential and reveal some mysteries. So it's beautiful. It's just beautiful. And, and we have so many different schools and styles and methods and techniques these days. So hopefully there's something for everyone, you know. <laughs> When we talk about connected breathing and when you share about connected breathing and your take on it, how do you describe what is happening? Like how connected breathing helps us to access the parts of our minds that can take us into these higher states of consciousness mm. whilst sort of helping us to deal or process or integrate trauma and to and declutter the mind and rewire the nervous system and so on. How is it that the connected breath does that? Yeah, Leonard had the best understanding, Leonard Orr, I think, the, the best insight into that of anyone that I've known. And he said that rebirthing was the merging of the outer breath, which is air, and merging that with the inner breath, which is spirit. Anybody can breathe air, but breathing energy, that's where it's at. That's the secret sauce. That's where the breakthroughs happen when, when you're not just breathing air, but you're literally beginning to breathe prana, chi, ki, life force, spirit, energy, whatever you want to call it, you know. And I think the way I, the way I experience it now or trying to teach it or, and so on is, like, you know, they have those magic eye photographs where you look at them and it's just as random geometric shapes. Yeah. But if you... If you adjust your vision, if you look in front of the picture or look behind the picture, this 3D image pops out. So everybody's familiar with those. And if you look at those pictures in the same way that you look at everything else, you won't unlock that 3D image. You have to deliberately contort your vision. You have to, you have to do something different to your vision in order to unlock that 3D image. You can't look at that picture the same way you look at all pictures, right? So what breathing does for me, there's a similar phenomenon that happens on the level of feeling. If I keep feeling my feelings in the same way I've always felt them, I'm not going to unlock this deeper potential. And breathing gives us a different way of feeling. And, and in that different way of feeling, using the breath to touch 
feelings and sensations, using the breath to connect. And suddenly we unlock this hidden dimension in life Mm -hmm. and this power that we have for self-healing, for self-liberation. And so it's kind of like that. As breath workers, we're teaching people a different way of feeling and connecting and relating to their feelings. And I like to bother Christians. I like to insult religious people because I'm religious. I can do that, you know. Um, And so, you know, I tell people that, look, you know, Jesus had emotional issues, you know, and, and psychological issues. And the Buddha had emotional and psychological issues. And and Lao Tzu, he had physical illnesses. And, and these things are part of the human experience. They don't go away. What we do is we change our relationship to those things. And in changing our relationship, we transcend. And I think that's what breathwork gives people, this power of transcending our ordinary states of being, our habitual patterns, our conditioned responses. And breathing gives us a way to break out of that Mm. and to open to another dimension of life, a a deeper or higher experience of our body, of each other, of the world. Yeah. It's like that concoction, this combination of the power, but also peace as well. I really loved what you said about feelings, but how the breath helps you to feel in a more expansive way, Mm. in a way that maybe you've never truly, maybe you've only 30% felt before, can make you feel that 100%. And also sometimes when you've come out of a breathing session and all of a sudden the sky is just so much (laughs) more brighter or there's deeper blue and it's like everything is in HD and in that way that it expands expands your awareness and your sight as well. And just, yeah. So yeah, I really love how you explained that. Thank you so much. In that way that, you know, our our breath as well is hardwired to connect with the, the modern and ancient brain too. So when we're talking about like this expansive awareness, but also the, the limbic brain, the reptilian brain and how the breath works and accesses all these parts of our brain via the nervous system. Is that something that you have, um, I, I will imagine, you know, that it is something that you've really gone into, but, mm. but, you know, are there certain breathing techniques that you will specifically work with that will be accessing different parts of the brain? Yeah, we are, we are definitely, I, I think that the link that you, you mentioned, this link between the conscious the, the, the most modern brain, the cognitive frontal cortex, and the ancient brain. Because that ancient lizard brain, that limbic system, that, you know, that's controlling the breathing. But when we breathe consciously, we control the breathing from a different part of the brain. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of research between left and right brain, but there's very little research between modern and ancient brain. And that's what breathing is doing. Conscious breathing is cutting new neural pathways between the modern brain and the ancient brain. And that is giving us a foundation for some higher capacities. And um, so much of it is intuitive. And I think that's, you know, that's why science kind of lags behind. Mm-hmm. You know, you can, you can accidentally stumble over something, but you can't repeat it in a laboratory. So now you're stuck with an experience you can't deny, but no way to really talk about it or prove it. And so uh, that's also why we need more breath workers, mm-hmm. because we are smarter than me. And the more people there are playing with their breath, working on their breath, 
the more we accelerate this learning and this development of of what is an evolutionary tool, I think. The breath is, it's not an accident that the breath is completely automatic and it's totally under our control. That's not an accident of nature. That's not a coincidence. That's an invitation. That's an opportunity to take part in our own nature and our own evolution. And the breath is the link between the mind and the body. It's the link between the conscious mind and the unconscious mind. And it's, and it's what connects your heart to my heart. And so, yeah, we're living in exciting times when what used to be only the great masters and the warriors and the saints and the mystics and the gurus could experience, that average people are now accessing those same states and those same high abilities. Quite beautiful. Quite amazing, actually. I mean, I would love to go really in depth with you about that. Maybe that's even for another podcast, just to fly because we all often talk about the flight or fight and the nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system and the sympathetic nervous system, but not always necessarily kind of the how we're almost like rewiring the circuits in our in our brain as well, like in our neural pathways too. And that's I guess, like you say, it's like something that science is maybe not have not be able to catch up on, and and the sages and the the yogis have just simply known for for however many thousands of years, and I think that then maybe just takes me to your time when you you know because you've you've studied and you've spent so much time with many masters of breathwork and you've lived with them and you've been invited to study with them and been initiated by them. And, and, uh, so your time with Papaji, can you just tell me how that happened and, mm. and how was that for you? Yeah. Well, <clears throat> when I was learning rebirthing, um, at the time we had to go to India and meet Babaji if we were going to get certified because Leonard Orr considered that Babaji, who's, who's written about in Yogananda's book, Autobiography, of a yogi, Pramahansa Yogananda, he talks about his guru's guru's guru, this immortal yogi Christ of India who materializes and dematerializes and walks on water and is and bilocates. And you know, I mean, what? I, you, you can't even, the Western mind just goes, what are you talking about? So Lenda said, look, this he's the source of rebirthing. You want to get certified, you got to come to India with us. And so that's how I met Babaji. Mm -hmm. When I had my early awakening in Catholic school, the nuns told us about our guardian angel. We were all told we all have our own guardian angel, a personal angel assigned to us to guide us and help us and so on through life. And, you know, as a little child, this is so real. And so, you know, when I was in the cafeteria, I had a little place. I saved aside a seat for my guardian angel in the cafeteria. And when I was sitting at my desk in class, I had a little place on the side of me for my guardian angel to sit. This was just so real. And when I met Babaji, oh, my God, I met my guardian angel <laughs> in the flesh. Wow. How many people ha have an opportunity to, to do that? I don't know how or why it came about, why I I was blessed or fortunate or gifted or grace, whatever, to meet such a being because it opened me to the possible human, right? I learned from Babaji that everything we were always taught in Catholic school that was true about God, it's really true about us, about you and me. 
And what's true about God, I have no idea. And and Babaji also taught me that the way people treated him, kissing his feet, bowing to him, seeing him as magnificent, that's how we're supposed to treat each other. Mm -hmm. And so for me, meeting a model like that of a possible human, uh, what's what's possible for us uh, was just just the turning point. It was the biggest thing ever happened in my life. And um, five years after I was in India with Babaji, I was in China with Hubin and um, learning Chinese medical breathing exercises from a Chinese saint who uh, who did miraculous work. I mean, he could put his hands about four or five inches from you and he could heal mend your bones and heal your cancer. It was just and so being around this real saint, he was a medical doctor on top of being a chi, in, in addition to being a Qigong master. And so a lot of it is about absorbing things from people. What I found in breathwork and in spiritual, it's not so much about learning and practicing as it is absorbing skills and abilities and insights and energy from someone who's more connected than you. Right. So I'm more connected to, to the one above me and you're connected to me and someone's below that. And, and we're all on the same ladder. Mm. And breathwork seems to have this ancient thread of a tradition in Kriya Yoga and Kundalini Yoga and Taoist practices and so on. And lurking in all those different schools and styles is the living spirit of the breath. Mm. And however we encounter the spirit of the breath, I encountered it as a Catholic boy. Somebody else will encounter it in a Sufi, you know, practice and a Buddhist practice. And uh, but if the spirit of breath is meant to wake you up, it's going to be really hard to ignore and avoid. Yeah. <laughs> and to this day, I still feel like the spirit of breath just picks me up by the scruff of my neck and puts me in a group of people or pushes me to a country and. And I think we're all in service to this spirit, whether we know it or not. I think it's that thing when, when, when people talk about awakenings, and then sometimes that can sound quite, again, a bit new agey. But then when you, when you speak in that way, Diane, and then you break it down and explain it, it really is, that's exactly kind of what it is. Each time you go and work with these people, it is an awakening, but it's also a remembering and a reminding of what as human beings we've always had, stripping everything back and just, working with the breath and working with our body intelligence and our heart intelligence and, and, and human connection. And it's almost like we kind of really screwed ourselves up by, <laughs> by not trusting this technology that we had inside and starting to rely on other technology, which obviously is amazing because you and me are talking here and you're in the, you know, another side of the world, but yeah, just like how incredible it is and to be able to to be there and to witness that. And it's just, it's, it's such an important time right now, isn't it? To raise consciousness. And they say in inverted commas that smart people are running the planet, but smart versus conscious. And, you know, and then when you look at like what's happening to the planet right now, this awakening is just it's so necessary and like you, but thank goodness in a way, like you say, there are so many people now sharing breath work and, and doing this work and doing this incredible work. Yeah. 
And then you spent time with um, Shwami Rama as well, mm. didn't you, who, who wrote the science of, of yoga. Is that right? Yeah, I spent time with Swami Rama down in the Himalayan Institute. Uh, I did the early biofeedback training. It was so cool because, mm. you know, they hook you up to biofeedback equipment. You could practice different meditations. You could practice breathing. And in real time, that was when I really started to be able to, I think, become a biohacker. My time with Swami Rama. Uh, in the early 80s. And um, a big part of it, I think Leonard Orr was right on, is about birth trauma and how the trauma of birth can cause us to short circuit or, or get cut off or break our connection to certain abilities in ourselves. So, uh, my friend Barnett Bain, who's a Hollywood producer, filmmaker, he's got a book called The Book of Doing and Being. And he teaches creativity, he does workshops in creativity. And um, and it's really funny because he says, Dan, you know, he says he advertises courses when he does them and he's in Hollywood, so everybody wants to be creative. And he waits until people get in the room and he shuts the door. And then he says, this is all about breathing. <laughs> he said, but if I told them that before, they wouldn't show up. <laughs> and so he uses this beautiful analogy to understand some of the trauma that kind of paralyzes us for the rest of our life or numbs us or whatever, and how to recover from that early trauma. Mm -hmm. And he used the analogy of a little puppy. If you take a little baby puppy away from its mother or a little kitten away from its mother, you're going to hear from both of them because you have severed an energetic bond. And the mother is not happy. And the baby experiences what Barnett calls overwhelming feelings of aliveness. They are distressing feelings of aliveness, but they are feelings of aliveness nonetheless. That's why when you get a little baby puppy and you bring it home, it cries all night for the first three or four nights you have it. It's processing that severing of the energetic bond. And we were once a little baby puppy and somebody separated us from our mother. And in that moment, something just kind of just got got squished or stifled or snapped or fried or something. And, you know, because when we're born, all these systems come online at the same time. You know, we didn't need digestive system when we were in the womb. We didn't need certain things. We, everything was coming through the umbilical cord and we were living off of our mother's chemicals and so on. And then once that cord is cut and we are on our own, then we have to take over that job. And in the process of birth, many people didn't have the luxury to really relax into breathing, to play with their breath. Instead, you had to breathe or die, or somebody shook you or slapped you into breathing, and you learned how to breathe just enough to satisfy the doctor, and, and you never recovered. And I think that is one of the reasons breathwork is so powerful, because it goes back and it heals some of those earliest breaks and traumas that we that are we can't we you know you can't get to with talk therapy uh, you know and so you can get to it with the breath and it liberates us in some way from those programming and conditioning that kind of have been holding humans back for so long. Mm, beautiful. Um, so we are we've been talking for a while and we're going to have to. 
wind it down. So I'm going to have to like condense. So maybe we're going to have to do another podcast because there's so many things that I want to ask you. Um, and I don't think I can fit it all in an hour. So I'm going to try to just get these points in as well. And I really wanted to ask you about, um, your time in Russia and, and how that was for you. And cause I know you've been teaching there for a very long time, haven't you? And working yeah. with Olympic athletes and, uh, can you, and you tell me. Yeah, I went to, I was invited to Moscow in 1990. And that was the most far out invitation I'd ever had. And I thought, okay, I'm in, I'm going to Russia. It was so cool. It was like being in the wild, wild west. And there was no sheriff in town. You know, the communist government had collapsed. The new democratic government hadn't quite formed. And you could slip and slide through all the cracks and crevices. I just, I love it. It was such a, such a juicy, creative time. People, you know, when your whole system collapses, economic and political system, people are forced to go in and find new resources. And, and, and the Soviet Union, when it was collapsing, people were in that process. Everything they had depended on for their safety and their security and everything was just collapsing and life was forcing them to dig deeper and find inner resources. And so, of course, they were attracted to the breath. And uh, so I got invited over to the first, uh, they called it Free Breathing Conference, International Free Breathing Conference. And that went on for 10 years. And I was invited back for 10 years. I went to every one of those conferences and I was going there in between. You know, we trained a thousand psychiatrists, psychologists, psychotherapists. We, I, I went out to Novosibirsk to the Olympic Academy and I trained with a lot of their teams, the Greco-Roman wrestling team, the judo team, the rowing team, the triathlon team. Because, you know, when you come from far away, they just think that you're better than you are. You know, like, you know, in my own town, I couldn't, I couldn't. I couldn't get into a room and teach anybody, but way off in Moscow, they would do anything to have me go there. So I did. What did you find out? How did it, how did it work with the athletes and how did it help improve, for example, their physical performance? And or was it, were you working with some mind control or, you know, what? Because there's, there's some pretty out there, far out there stuff yeah. claims that you can do, isn't there, with yeah. breath and with mind control? My biggest plus in working in Russia was when I identified what I call the principles of breath therapy, because I had been teaching rebirthing already for 15 years, whatever. By the time I went to Russia, um, I started in 76. I went to Russia in 1990. So, you know, I was already a seasoned rebirther. I had rebirthed 10,000 people or whatever. And so one thing that was driving me crazy was that I would work with one person, do a rebirthing session with somebody, and they would have a right out of the book miracle. I mean, just unbelievable, miraculous, you know, experience. And other people, it was like, eh, nothing happened. And I, it drove me crazy because I was doing the same thing. I was teaching the same way. They seemed to be doing it right. And yet, sometimes a miracle happened, and sometimes it was like, ho-hum, yeah, that was interesting, but what's the big deal? And I couldn't, what is missing? What is going on? Why isn't everybody having these big breakthroughs? And so in Russia, I, I identified the, what I call the, the principles of breath therapy. And that's what rocketed my, you know, that took my practice to a whole nother level. 
uh, in identifying these principles. And the and the first one was the technique, right? So you breathe a certain way, and you're going to get a certain result. If you're any, if you have a normal physiology, a normal anatomy, and you hyperventilate, for example, you're going to produce a whole package of feelings and sensations and reactions in your system. Mm -hmm. And if you hold your breath, you're going to produce a different package of emotions and feelings and sensations and reactions and chemistry and all that. And so there's power in the technique. If you learn a technique and you really get good at it, you can produce very predictable changes in chemistry and your emotional state and brain states and so on. Mm. The second piece was the atmosphere in which you practice the technique. Am I in a very sacred spiritual atmosphere or is it like a drunken party? You know, um, is it is it a you know, what's the emotional atmosphere? What's the spiritual atmosphere? What's the psychological atmosphere? And I found that that's just as powerful as the technique. There are sacred places on the planet. You just sit there and you're healed. You don't need a technique, right? Yeah. Um, and, and, and so that creating this atmosphere that has therapeutic power, an atmosphere of freedom and safety, which is what I discovered in Russia. So we have the technique and then we have the atmosphere in which you practice the technique. And then you have the presence of the teacher. What is my level of skill? What is my level of awakening? Water only rises to its own level. Leonard Orr taught us that, that we have to be working on the purity of our personal presence because our presence does a lot of the work in rebirthing. You could breathe fast, you could breathe slow, but how you do it and in the presence of who you do it and in what physical and emotional atmosphere you do it, that determines in a very big way the result. And so I got, so I nailed down those three pieces, the technique, the atmosphere in which you practice the technique and the presence, our own presence and something about transferring energy, mm. about initiation, that there's something in breath work that's a very important part of that. Yeah. Being, being like being the witness. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Like the Buddha. To step back, mm. the word ecstasy, ecstasis, to stand apart, that ability to observe our breath, observe our thoughts, observe and respond and not react. The breath gives us this ability to consciously respond rather than just, you know, react. Mm. So that led to the fourth element or the fourth piece of this puzzle, and that is the mind of the breather. What do you believe is possible? What are you willing to experience? What do you dare to, to go for? You know, what, what, what are you willing, you know? So that, that piece, the consciousness factor is so variable in each person. But the power of the mind in all of this was another very powerful element. And the fifth element, the fifth principle, I could say, I can only call it something else. I don't know what it is, but I know there's something else at work. And maybe a big part of me doesn't even want to know because I like the mystery. And maybe we'll never understand everything. And so we need to get comfortable with the mystery of life. But it's something else. Something else is at work uh, because we can do the technique wrong. We can do it in a terrible atmosphere. We can do it with a horrible teacher. We can do it for all the wrong reasons and still a miracle can happen. So there's something else at work here. Mm -hmm. And um, grace, 
a magical, a mystical factor. I don't know. I don't really care. I just know that there's something else at work here and let's lean on it. Let's depend on it. Let's have faith in it. And in the meantime, let's do everything that we can on our own. Mm-hmm. And and I think we find ourselves in a dance with life, with the creator, with the source. And sometimes we lead and sometimes we follow. Yeah. Uh, but most of the time, it's a dance. It's a conspiracy. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're, we're working together with. To conspire together. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Breathe together. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in that way that that you um described uh, you know your experiences in Russia and then but all of the other countries that you've you've been and you've been and traveled to and, and and spent time in would you say that you've noticed different breathing patterns with different cultures or wow yeah yeah there are just like there are family patterns and local patterns and there are national patterns and cultural patterns and you know um some really beautiful very unique stuff, like in some language, like Estonian, for example, and and the people who do it, they're not even conscious of it. To say yes in Estonia, in Estonian, for example, is yeah, and they say it on the inhale, yeah, yeah, and and they just do it like naturally. It's just they modeled it. I don't know. And when I point that out to, them, I think that's so beautiful. You're literally saying yes while you're inhaling. Mm. That's a magical, mystical practice. <laughs> it's the yes for life. It's an invitation, even though it's unconscious. So, you know, you stand outside and you notice things that people in the middle can't quite see. So I, I, traveling and being in different cultures keeps giving us different angles on the same thing. And so our experience and our knowledge gets richer because we have more approaches and more examples and the foundation is broader. Mm. So yeah, traveling has been the best teacher for me and breathing with people in different cultures who have different habits and patterns and beliefs around the breath has been so enriching and, and, and so accelerating in my own practice uh, to get the benefit of these different cultures and styles and what are their traditions around the breath and gradually it's like a it's like one of those uh, jigsaw puzzles where you know you don't know what it is when that last piece comes in the whole picture snaps together you know so we're we're practicing we're collecting knowledge and skills and every once in a while boom we just have this big integration of some kind and we have this huge aha and this clarity um and so that's, and the breath brings that clarity. The breath is the, it burns away illusions. It dissolves blocks, energetic blocks, and it frees us to make these subtle connections and these higher insights, you know? Yeah. And, and it's like what you were saying about the breath being a dance and how you become one with the breath. And when you really are at one with the breath, it does become this beautiful dance and how maybe the the silent partner is movement and when the breath is restricted and when it's not flowing then we don't feel like we're in our flow and we're not dancing with our breath <laughs> and so when we start to manipulate that or help it or be with it and be present with it and so on then we can really start to partner become like you know it, it's not something that's separate from us mm. and we can really really just 
yeah, create that movement, that flow. And then so, you know, it so mirrors, doesn't it? The flow of life really mirrors the flow of breath and yeah. how we breathe and the, the way that we breathe really does mirror our life patterns. We start to uncover what I call universal principles. Movement is one. So, for example, combining breathing and movement, mm. any movement, just pick your head up on the inhale, put your head down on the exhale, or look to the left on the inhale and look to the right on the inhale, or just move your arms. Combining movement and breath is so powerful. Combining visualization and breath, very powerful. Combining sound and breath, you know, affirmations, power statements and breath. Yeah. And so, you know, we start to play with these different parameters, changing the channel, the nose versus the mouth, uh, focusing on the throat versus the chest or focusing up in the skull. So, you know, we start to unravel all these ancient practices and things happen. <laughs> it's like a spontaneous uh, kind of rediscovery of some ancient principles and breathwork kind of brings it all together. And I think one of the most powerful things is this connection idea. You know, it's a beautiful spiritual idea how we're all connected, we're all one, but breathing gives people an unarguable experience of that connection, of that oneness. And there's no substitute for that. Like instead of having an intellectual or philosophical understanding, yes, we're all one, yes, we're all connected, but to have a biological experience of that, a cellular experience of that connection, which is unarguable, it becomes impossible to hurt another person because you're hurting yourself. <laughs> you know, it just, it solves so many problems. And, and especially in these days of social distancing and, you know, we're afraid to breathe on each other. You know, what a, it's, what an insane situation. Yeah. So it's causing us to find deeper ways to connect, higher ways to connect. And the, and that's why I think in this pandemic in the last two years, Breathwork has just exploded, like online breathwork. Who would, have, who would ever thought we'd be doing virtual breathing, you know, online breathwork? But life forces us to expand and grow. And uh, and I I resisted, you know, I thought I got to have my hands on people. I got to be right with them. I don't know if you can really do breathwork on the internet, mm. but lo and behold, it works pretty darn good. And so it's powerful. <laughs> yeah, it is. And, and, and then you're right. It's like at the start of the, the lockdown pandemic, I was very kind of cautious about doing it online and was just waiting and not jumping straight into it and was just sitting with it and actually adapting techniques and playing with it and going really gently as well. I found like, especially during this times when there is so much fear that actually gentle was more powerful. Um, but also just finding that the, the connection that you could get online with people and breathing with them was just it blew my mind. And it's yeah. just, yeah, it, it's, in, it's, it is incredible and it's really opened things up. Yeah. And, and on that note, actually, which I really would love to, because I'm sure this would really be uh, something would be useful for the listeners as well, because I've been working a lot with people with, you know, um, symptoms of long COVID and so on. And, and some people, it's been very debilitating. They've not been able to go back to work. There's been all sorts of weird and wonderful symptoms and stuff around the, you know, neurological difficulties, um, fatigue inflammation, 
not being able to really, it's like some people not being able to operate and so on. So I would love to ask your wise self, like over these last couple of years, what have you found that's really helped people? I try to get people to drill down on two very fundamental aspects of breath work in whatever way they can and whatever way they're ready. One of them is breath awareness, <clears throat> just developing this tendency to be conscious of your breath, to notice your breath, to observe your breathing um, as a meditation, as a ritual, as a daily practice. Well, you don't breathe in any special way. You don't do any special breathing. In fact, you don't do the breathing at all. You step back, you let your body breathe itself. You let the breath breathe you and you become the witness. And this is so precious, that developing of this witnessing capacity that we have. It's, it's the essence of the Buddha. You know, it's what the Buddha was doing when he became enlightened. You know, he, he traveled everywhere. He studied with everyone. He tried everything for 12 years. This saint traveled the earth trying to find the cause of suffering and the cure for suffering. And he got to a point where he realized, you know, I've done everything that's humanly possible. There's no other teachers. There's no place to go. There's nothing else to practice. I've done everything humanly possible. What can I do now? He just sat under a tree and he began to observe the breath coming and going. And in that practice, he was awakened. He became enlightened. That's how powerful simple breath awareness is. Noticing how you breathe when you're stuck in traffic. Noticing how you're breathing when you're listening to music. Notice how you're breathing when someone is insulting you. Notice how you're breathing when you're having an orgasm. Most people have not developed this capacity in themselves to be conscious and they're, they're acting, they're reacting. So this is the first step. And, and, and I think this is, if we can start people there, I can become aware of your breathing, but you need to become aware of your own breathing. And that's what's going to really work. And so that's breath, what I call breath awareness. And it's meditation. It's, it's a sneaky way of saying meditation, meditating on your breath. That's required, I think. And that's one of the most powerful pieces of this whole puzzle is developing in yourself this ability to observe, to be the witness. And we use the breath to refine and develop that ability to be conscious moment to moment, present, not reacting, not thinking, just alive, aware, moment to moment. That's that's a capacity as humans we need to develop if we're going to grow, if we're going to heal, if we're going to evolve. And so breathwork gives us a very practical way of developing that witness in ourselves, the, our Buddha nature. Yeah. And the second is conscious breathing. This is where you take over. You breathe in a certain way, breathe in a certain rhythm, a certain pattern. You breathe with a certain intention, a certain speed, a certain volume, right? A certain rate. Now we are doing the breathing. And now that dance is possible. I do the breathing, the breath breathes me. My body breathes itself, I breathe my body. And now we can get into that dance and we can start to unlock so much of that potential. So I just try to drill, I get people to drill down on those two things. And the conscious breathing exercises, we start with a sigh of relief. It's not really a technique. Everybody already knows how to do it. 
You just start to do it consciously. You break it down into its elements. You dramatize and explore each of the elements of a sigh of relief, and you turn it into a powerful self-healing, self-awakening practice, a simple sigh of relief. So that's conscious breathing, doing something deliberately, intentionally. And, and, And in that practice, we're going to unlock our potential. It cannot not happen. Nobody I know in 50 years of teaching breath work has ever practiced breathing and not gotten a benefit. And those people who who said they tried it and didn't get a benefit, they didn't practice. You can't fool me. <laughs> Everybody who practices gets benefit, period, end of story. It sounds like hyperbole, but it sounds like snake oil. But that's what it is. Breath is that powerful. If you practice, you're going to get benefits, period. Yeah. Well, it's it's in the name, isn't it? Breath work. And uh, it, it really is up for the breather to to do the work. And, and we, you know, you can hold that space for people. But like you say, if you bring that and it becomes a way of life and it becomes something that you're just constantly checking in with, being aware of, like you say, in everyday life, in different situations, how am I breathing? Am I breathing? Am I holding my breath? Am I shallow breathing? Am I, you know, am I stress breathing and so on? And also I think that's what's that other beautiful thing that you said as well is just really about patience as well and trust. And sometimes we'll just go back into those old patterns of just like, I need to get this done now and I've got to sort it out now. And then the mind will stop being angry with us because we haven't got better yet. And we have can't, you know, so we should be better by now. And, you know, we're, are we going to be missing out? Or are we, and obviously it's easier said than done because obviously some people have need to get back to work or they need to earn money or they've got to feed their families and so on. So it's very, very real. Yeah. Like you just said, the breath is so powerful. Yeah. And it's, and culturally, you know, we have to make a change as well. We can't keep going at this pace anyway. We have to be brave and we have to be the ones to make that change and to make slowing down be like the biggest act of rebellion right now anyway. And and just by being there and being with the breath and like you say, it's the biggest companion and friend that you have. It's here when you come into the world and when you leave. And, you know, I'm I'm a really lazy bugger and I wish it wasn't true, but I don't think there's any way around training. We've got to have a daily practice. You've got to have a regular practice. That's what really works. It's not like, you know, I'm, I'm religious because I go to church for an hour once a week. And then the rest of the time, I'm, 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 the, I'm the devil personified. You know what I mean? Yeah. You can't just breathe. Okay. Oh, yeah. I tried that, you know, a couple of years ago for about 10 minutes. And yeah, I didn't get anything out of it. It's about training, daily practice, regular practice, uh, moving through layers, developing skill. Um, but wow, there are so many beautiful techniques to practice. You're never bored and, mm-hmm. and you enjoy, it's so enjoyable and you get benefits so quick. You don't need discipline. You're, you're motivated to, to go further and to practice more because, because you're getting more and more benefits. So it doesn't take discipline or convincing people. It just takes them actually practicing and a daily practice. Even if it's just five minutes every single day, that's going to be huge. In a couple of weeks, you're not going to be doing five minutes. You're going to be doing 10 minutes. And then you're going to be doing 20 minutes because because of what starts to happen. So um, You can feel the benefits. Yeah. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But that's it. Start, you know, who, you know, anyone who says that they haven't got five minutes a day, it's like make it habitual, maybe in the morning so that then it becomes like something that's a regular practice and, and it's something that then it just becomes like a part of life yeah. or a way of it's life. It's a lifestyle, really. Um, yeah. Thank you so much, Dan, for sharing that. Yeah, yeah, a lifestyle. And it's a choice, isn't it? Every every breath is an opportunity. It really is. Yeah. And um, to make change. It's never too, never, ever too late. Um, so, Dan, I mean, this has been awesome. I love talking to you and, um, yeah, I'm going to have to get out there to you somehow at some point. <laughs> um, but also, can you just tell me what's the next, what's the next steps for breath mastery and what's what's your next steps yeah. for, for this year and what can we share as well and how can people find you and so on? Uh, thank you. Yeah. We're, I don't know, there's this explosion recently, um, in the breathwork world and in my own practice. I mean, we're, overfilling our retreat we're, we're we're doing a second one actually i do a february annual retreat a 21 day i've been doing it for about 16 years in los cabos in mexico where i am now and every year it's been getting bigger and it got big enough that we just i can only take 15 or 16 people for 21 days so we 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 created this breathing festival so in los cabos so that hey people who couldn't make it to the private retreat Let's create a public festival. So we have this real nice healing atmosphere around the breath in February in Los Cabos. So we're ramping up for that. We're ramping up for the uh, breathing festival in Los Cabos. And we're ramping up for our two retreats, two personal retreats. I do one 21-day retreat in February and another 21-day retreat in March. And we only take a small group for that. So that's what we're looking for. That's what we're ramping up and preparing for these days. And um, and our practitioner program, you know, we people need to we you know we need to help each other. So if you learn something about breath that helps you, teach somebody else, pass it on. That's the thing. And so I'm really excited about training practitioners, certifying coaches and teachers these days. I love it. Um, and and furthering my own practice, you know, I, I keep. My students, you know, you. I taught somebody 20 years ago and I go around and I see what they've been doing for 20 years and I pick up new stuff and I grow. So this, this, uh, this practicing um, and the gathering of like-minded people and the, and the cross-pollination of different techniques, I think that's really, really important. Mm -hmm. and, and that's what I see the movement in the breathwork world uh, moving more and more in that direction of collaboration, conspiring, literally uh, cross-pollination. Um, and, and anything I can do to make that happen, uh, I'm on board. <laughs> Thank you, Dan. And so breathmastery.com, because that's my, my, my website, breathmastery.com. And people can find me at, uh, at Dan Brule Official on Instagram. We just passed um, a nice milestone. I mean, I don't do marketing much, but we just hit 10,000 followers on uh, on Instagram, mostly because of the work of my partner, Anastasia, has been really at it. But it's also more and more people are waking up to the breath, and we just need to show up to serve them and um, and create opportunities for people to get together and learn together. So that's where that's that's my goal. That's my that's my work these days. Fantastic. Thank you, Dan. 
just thank you for you know for everything thank you for all that you've um brought into this world and for everything that you do and your kind of your boundless energy just to keep spreading this work um so yeah just really really grateful i'm really really grateful to have this time with you as well and i just hope that that well i i know i don't hope i know that listeners were going to get so much out of this conversation as well oh good Mm. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you for what you're doing. You're making a huge difference in the world out there. I can feel it. I can see it. I'm hearing about it and I love it. So we got to find a way to clone you. That's for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Clone us both. All right, my love. We'll take care. Thank you. Thank you so much. So that's all we have time for this week on the And Breathe podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And I really hoped you enjoyed it. I would love to hear from you and get your thoughts on the episode. So please do comment and rate wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to follow the show as well. You've been listening to the And Breathe podcast presented by me, Rebecca Dennis, and produced by One Fine Play. For more breathing tips and advice, please go to www.breathingtree.co.uk. You can also find me on Instagram at breathing.tree. There's lots of free information, books, offerings, workshops, retreats to empower you with your breath. Every day we can change our state of being and every breath is an opportunity to live this life fully and be present in every moment. So always remember to be kind, be present and breathe.